0: Hello pop music lovers, welcome back to the Women in Pop podcast. My name is Jet Tattersall and it is wonderful to be chatting with you again. Now, due to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, this podcast is being produced remotely, so please forgive us for the lower audio quality than you are used to from our podcasts. To begin with, a reminder that the latest issue of Women in Pop magazine is on sale now with the iconic Mariah Carey on the cover. Inside, we celebrate Mariah's 30-year anniversary in the music industry across 10 pages. Plus, we also have interviews with Carly Rae Jepsen, G-Flip, Dami Im, Freya Writings, Toki Monster, and more. And we're also looking back on the creation of Whitney Houston's debut album on the 35th anniversary of its release. It is on sale now at a store near you, and you can also buy a copy online at womeninpop.com forward slash subscribe. It will only be on sale for a couple more weeks, so get in now before it's too late. Now, let me introduce you to today's guest. Now, to be fair, she really needs no introduction because she is an absolute icon of the Australian music industry. She first came to fame in the late 90s as the lead singer of the band, George, who scored massive hits with Special Ones and Run. And she had since gone on to release a staggering 20 studio albums. Her musical soundscape ranges from jazz to opera to classical to pop. This year, she's released The Sweetest Taboo, an incredible collection of classic 80s covers and she has just announced a monthly live streamed concert series live from Zach Rainbow Room. She is of course the incredible Katie Noonan. Katie, hello and welcome to Women in Pop. Hello Jet, thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness, seriously, given everything that's going on right now, of course fires, diseases, walls and all that disaster, how does it feel to not only be releasing an incredible album, but be hooking up and working around it with this live stream event?
1: Well, yeah, look, it's been an extraordinary year, as everyone knows. And particularly for artists, you know, our capacity, you know, basically, I've been very lucky to be a full time touring musician for 20 years. And, um, you know, touring is my main um, source of, of uh, love and, and passion and connection with the world, but it's also how I make my living. So um, that's obviously all gone and um, it's been an interesting six months to kind of figure out how I do what I do. Um, also in that, thankfully, in the beginning of COVID, um, I was busy finishing a record, which kept me busy, which was awesome. Um, and then I released the record in May, um, as you mentioned, The Sweetest Taboo. Releasing a record in a pandemic is weird (laughs) because you can't do any, you know, you can't, I'd usually come down and do a bunch of promo and TV and whatnot. So, um, and I'd usually be touring it. So, you know, none of that's happened. Um, But then generally, yeah, um, I was like, well, you know, I want to keep busy. I need things to look forward to. I need to collaborate. I need to have um, you know, I like to be, I like to be busy. And so basically I went in for an Australia council from the, uh, of the arts grant earlier in the year, a resilience grant. And I luckily received one. It was, uh, just enabled my husband to really put all his energy into turning our, um, studio into a live streaming, um, concert platform basically and so I've just been pondering going well how can I I want to keep on making stuff I want to work with fellow musos and obviously a high quality multi-camera um high quality audio live stream seem to be the the obvious option so we've been working very hard to make our rainbow room and well my husband has really I haven't been doing much (laughs) of that thing um He's kind of pivoted into becoming an acoustic technician and a sound engineer and learning, going on that massive learning curve.
0: So to facilitate this for us. So it's very exciting. That's incredible. And I'm so glad um, that you, you really spelled it out. It's about stepping up to the game because um, as you mentioned, really the way musicians make money is by touring. And so, If two rings not happen, there's nothing there. So as opposed to sitting around and waiting for it, you guys are being proactive and going for it, um, which I think is incredible. I want to talk about the album. First of all, The Sweetest Taboo. It's a collection of pop songs, jazz style, but where did the title come from?
1: Well, it's my dirty little secret. It's my little taboo secret that um, I love mid-'80s daggy pop songs. But also, obviously, Sweetest Taboo is that iconic, awesome Sade um, record and tune of, this, uh, of from that same era. Um, but I didn't... That song was kind of on my massive, massive long list, which I gradually whittled down to the songs on the record. Um, but so I can It's a hint to the Sade so, tune, which isn't on the record, but it's more that, yeah, I, my dirty secret is that I absolutely love daggy 80s pop songs
0: <laughs> oh my goodness you and me and yeah. everyone else first of all to to start us up i'm actually just going to play uh, my personal favorite which is i want to dance with somebody so here is katie noonan i want to dance with somebody Hi.
1: Somebody yeah I want dance with somebody with
0: somebody who loves me oh, Just incredible. Now you know, Whitney is the ultimate however, hearing that track stripped of its 80s production and just given it so much weight to what were considered pretty bubblegum pop machine lyrics,
1: yeah, no, they're, they're really not like when that's the thing I always found that I loved that song. And obviously as a girl, I was just running around in my kind of fluoro rah skirts and singing into my hairdresser and Whitney was my queen. And that film clip is so poptastic. It's just so 80s and amazing. And the production on the original is awesome. I love it. But when I looked at the lyrics, it was like, wow, it's actually really achingly sad. And, Even more so because, you know, she did end up having such a sad and lonely life, particularly in the end. It kind of just took on this whole other, you know, beautiful kind of meaning. Um, And I love doing tunes by other people but I want to do them in a way that gives them something new and makes them different. Otherwise, you know, why do them? Cause the original so mm-hmm. great. So um, it's this kind of tricky balance of paying homage to the tune that you love and not messing with the melody too much, but also really changing it in terms of the style and the vibe. And so, yeah, it's just me and a piano super stripped back, you know, it starts with piano and then obviously the double bass and sax come in, but what i find sad is that little clave rhythm that the drummer plays <laughs> it's like this little sad little you know like a clave which is kind of a you know a, a latin american um beat that you play on either a cowbell or or the wood blocks um but on its own without the whole drum kit it sounds really kind of oh achingly kind of somber you know <laughs> yeah it
0: is it's so sad and I love the way you talked about that contrast because um, as soon as weirdly, as soon as I heard your version of it, it got me thinking of Robin's dancing on my own, which again, without the production, you go, that is actually a really sad <laughs> song. Yeah. to it. And, and
1: also, you know, Sears tune Chandelier, like that's yeah. a gang and pop tune, and the production's so amazing, but it's achingly sad. It's the song about the depths of alcoholism and and her like basically not wanting to deal with reality and just getting drunk to, you know, hide from the world. Um, and the lyrics are so so you know, In the next morning it says, um, sun is up, I'm a mess, got to get out of here, got to run from this, here comes the shame, here comes the shame. Oh, well, one, two, three, one, two, three, drink, you know, throw them back till I lose count, etc. cetera. Um, it's so sad and so honest. But, yeah, again, when you take it, when you strip it of all that,
0: fabulous awesome pop production it is incredibly sad yeah i love how you've done this and we're really hearing these different facets of the song but like you said there's there's no point doing the doing the cover unless you can put something new to it but i actually want to now bring attention to um terence trent darby's sign your name cover that also appears on the album oh, yeah. you've not shifted the melody the essence oh. of the song is there, but it's stripped of its late 80s birth and now just slow danced across this kind of timeless floor by, I'm going to say Patrick Swayze, but that's my fantasy, not yours. Oh, yeah, (laughs) that's a good, uh, that's a really, I can picture that totally. (laughs) Um, I mean, what it's great about that one is it's got, it's very much the same song, but it's not. And I, I just find it really interesting what you did with that one. Can you talk me through how you pulled that song apart and put it back together?
1: Yeah. Well, with that one, yeah, you're right. I didn't change the melody is basically pretty much exactly. Um, I mean, it's phrased differently, but that was the thing. I really didn't mess with the melodies too much on this record because that's so good. Like I didn't, Mm. you know, even though it is a jazz album, I wanted to really honor the song and the fact that they're pop songs. Um, but kind of turn them into jazz songs um but more so that was done via the arrangement not so much changing the vocal melody um I must say when I did that I said you know what I want to turn this into a really slutty tango so that was my brief (laughs) band kind of raunchy slutty tango which it it really is basically a tango um which is obviously such a sexy dance um and The other thing that I did with this was I took off all the reverb. So usually on a record, you'll hear reverb on, you know, at least the vocal, but certainly there'll be some room reverb or, you know, so that things don't sound totally dry. But on this, I actually took every single bit of reverb off. So it's completely dry. And that just gives it this really sparse kind of crackly um, uh, simplicity I guess yeah and makes it just sound even dirtier for some reason
0: <laughs> So I'm so glad you said alright well it hits the mark so I was like yeah that's definitely yeah. Slotty Tango That's brilliant. I'm going to play it now as well for the listeners so here is Sign Your Name
1: I'd rather be in hell with you baby than in cool heaven it seems to
0: Oh, I love it. Now, you did mention there is just so much gold in 80s pop. Um, mm. How did you go about selecting the songs for this album? Um,
1: it was very difficult. I had a very, 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 very long list to start with, of course. Um, but basically I narrowed it down to a four-year window. So it's 1984 to 1988, which was basically from when I bought my first you know, little um, seven inch, I think it was seven inch record single um, in 1984, which was Vince Jones, Blue, Never Let Me Go, Double A Side. And then through to 1988, which really was just such a bonkers awesome year for Australian music, particularly, um, and just great music all around the world. Um, And then just songs that I really loved that I wanted to sing and and I thought would stand well with the kind of retreatment I was doing. Um, and I also wanted to make sure I had a good selection of Australian artists as well as a good selection of women and fe- uh, men and female
0: um, singers. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. It must, like, the, the it, there's only a, a amount of post-it notes I can imagine when you were like, but I love this song and I love this song. <laughs> and you yeah, have to like, get quite... Because
1: like, I was like, I really want to do Super Daggy. Like, I even had, you know... Um, I was super into Debbie Gibson. Oh, oh Debbie Gibson, everything. I loved The Bangles, you know, I had um what's that, you know, The Flame. Yes. You're burning an eternal flame, you know, and then I had um <sighs> Tiffany. I think we're alone now. You know, I had all these pop-tastic women, but some of them were just a bit too daggy to really <laughs> take seriously um they really need to stay where they are and that's okay so for example that Tiffany song I was like you know I did love it then when I was eight but now I'm like I can't sing these lyrics they're so just you know they're pretty vacuous um and so I wanted to you know sing songs that still meant something to me um now as they did then in a different way of course but And doing, you know, Ice House and 1927 and Vince Jones and all these Aussie legends and, of course, Crowded House. Um, You know, we just make such amazing music here and it still stands the test of time. Like I still listen to those albums and they excite me now, you know, 35 years later. It's incredible.
0: It is. I'm I'm interested about that actually because you were saying how you, you selected through it was 84 to 88 And you were looking across bands that inspired you and you were looking for female artists. But what's interesting is that period in Australian music, I mean, there were some great bands, but it was, it was just dude rock really, wasn't it? It was just guys.
1: Yeah. The only women around in that time, baby Kate Sobrano was starting Mm -hmm. to do stuff. Um, Of course the Divinals were around. Um, Renee Geyer was doing amazing stuff, but yeah, look, the music industry um, has obviously been a boys' club until I'd say the early noughties. I could say the last 20 years it's absolutely been the advent of women on the top of the charts and um, women writing tunes. So the other sad thing, unfortunately, is that even artists that do do very well are usually not singing their own songs. So, you know, Kylie Minogue and... Mariah Carey and and Whitney Houston, all these amazing people, they're not actually songwriters. So all the intellectual property of the songs is generally owned by men as well. So, you know, the publishing rights aren't theirs. And whereas um, now obviously it's very different. Um, There are a lot of female singer songwriters and female producers and female record company, you know, people running their own labels. And so I think, look, There's so many reasons for it. I think the main reason is because, you know, it was actually illegal to be married and have a job until the late 60s in Australia. And that pattern was fairly similar around the world from a litigious legal point of view. And so the Marriage Bar Act was lifted in 1960, I think, eight, something like that. And, you know, that's only 50 years ago. So, Mm. you know, that, you know, Changes take time. That sort of big generational change takes takes a lot of time, takes generations. And so I grew up thinking I could do anything and be anyone and do whatever I wanted. But that was not the case for my mother. Um, it was not legal for her to have a job and be married. And then it was not legal for her to be pregnant and have a job, like literally until the 80s. So, you know, those archaic laws that were... You know, I think they were designed to keep the concept of the family safety. You know, they had as much as they did damage, I can appreciate why. Anyway, you you can, if you look back, you can see why they happened. But now, obviously, um, we're in this new era where, you know, women can do anything they want. And so, therefore, we're seeing way more awesome women in the charts playing their own songs, not singing the songs of men, which is great.
0: That's the thing, isn't it? They're actually singing their own emotions and their own thoughts as opposed to, oh, this is what girls think you should sing about that. (laughs) When you think about it, it's insane.
1: There have been great female songwriters, though, often writing for other women as well, of course, like Carole King. And, you know, we've had the amazing singer-songwriters like Joni Mitchell and Joan Baez and, you know, all of those amazing women, but in the pop world, um, certainly from the eighties onwards with the kind of stock, and Waterman world of pop tastic. Yeah. They were largely written by men um, and, and controlled by men and produced by men. And uh, the women were really the little, often the pretty little things just to sell the product um, often with their tits out. <laughs> so yeah. you, everyone remembers Samantha Fox and all those kind of, you know, ladies that had, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, their talent was not in their singing. It was in their, you know, sex appeal, which is a great thing as well. Like, you know, I'm all in all about women owning their sexuality, but um, when the, pu- when the strings are being pulled by puppets, it's a different situation, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually wanted to ask you about that because obviously there's that incredibly thin line between uh, feminist pride and objectification Mm-hmm. um and in the music industry particularly as still today um in order to be heard you yeah you, you actually as a woman you have to be seen first and seen hot what are your thoughts on that changing culture do you think it's happening like you said because there is this wave of female producers and female singer songwriters and they're actually doing the work or do you think we've still got a long way to go where the voice will basically overshadow how they look? yeah
1: it's we're still got a long way to go I mean if you listen to Australian radio, there is no woman over forty being played except for Kylie Minogue I'd say mm.
0: um,
1: and so where however there is chisel there's daryl Braithwaite there's Farnsley, there's the angels there's you know and that's because the music exists as going back to what we we're saying before in the fact that um you know uh, the that there just weren't the artists around for various reasons, um, largely because I would say the women were at home being homemakers, you know, that was kind of what the more traditional role of, of women in those times. And so they weren't on stage being rock stars. Um, their husbands were kind of thing. Um, and so there's that. Um, the tricky, you know, you know, I've been told to lose weight by Company executives my whole life I've, more recently I've been told that I should get Botox to get rid of xyz on my face and it really is a strange time that we're in with it's a very fine line because obviously I respect women doing anything they want to their bodies if it's their own choice and etc but I do worry about yeah this obsession with women looking young that is just a really weird I think genuinely weird and quite disturbing um, obsession because I want to get old. i really, you know, the gift of aging is so special. I want to get old. I want to be a fun old Nana in a (laughs) cafe with my grandkids. And I want to have the lines on my face that show the laugh lines of my life, you know, um, and I don't understand this perpetuation with this this obsession with, you know, inserting poisons into our faces to hide lines and to make our lips bigger than they are, and, and you know, yada yada. So. But when I have said things like that, I have really pissed off people as well. So it's it's a very fine line because, of course, I support anyone doing whatever they want to their body, you know. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the overall, the overarching narrative of you need to look younger or you need to look X, Y, Z is, is quite disturbing um, because ageing is a beautiful thing and ageing is a privilege that hopefully all, most of us get to do. But many of us don't, you know, many of us do die young and I'm mm. sure that they're not sitting around thinking about the lines on their faces, you know. <laughs> so it's a weird, it, it is a weird thing. And in the 80s, particularly as, you know, that's why I loved people like, um, well, Whitney, who was gorgeous, but she was very wholesome, you know, mm. Um, and Annie Lennox, who was so sexy, but wore man suits and shaved her head and like really, you know. Shook up the kind of concept of what a woman should look like.
0: Mm-hmm. She
1: looked quite androgynous, but she was so done, sexy at the same time, you know. And she's a beautiful example of a woman who's aged gracefully um, and looks her age. Whereas other people like Madonna, I mean, Madonna looks bizarre. Her face is not what it was, and it, it's nothing like what her face was um, 30, 40 years ago. She looks like a different person to me. And I find that. Um, Well, I guess for me, I'm surprised that someone as strong and awesome as her has done that. But then also that pisses people off when you say that. So it's a very, it's a tricky, it's a very, um, it's a strange world we're in because of course, again, you know, um, it's majority women having this plastic surgery and women doing these things. They're the ones being told that they need to not look old and doing it, whereas you know, and obviously some men have had plastic surgery and they look so wrong. (laughs) So when they do it, it's not very subtle, but um, you know, I'd say 95% or something of the clients would be female. So, you know, that, I still think that speaks to the fact that
0: we're being told to change because
1: a man says we need to, you know. Which yeah. Agree
0: and with. you know, like I'm, I hear with you, you can't, you can't upset Madonna's army they' They're a savage. Part.
1: Oh, oh, shit. I had an actual, man, I I I've had a moment with a few of those people and they scared the shit out of me. <laughs> um, I'm never saying anything again. I think Madge can do whatever she wants. Oh, um, and obviously there, you know, there are women, I mean, yeah, anyway. It's funny. I've got <laughs> actor friends of mine as well. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day who's a wonderful actor. And she when she first went to LA, people were like, Oh, oh, like you're 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 real. You know, it was just this such a bizarre concept for a woman in her 40s to be sitting there looking like a woman in her forties. You know, he was an agent and he was like, oh,
0: wow. Oh, wow. We don't have many of you here. Oh, wow. You know. Isn't that oh, funny? Just so scary. I just wanted oh. to talk to you about, I mean, you mentioned it's a, it's a privileged, it's a privilege to age. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, looking back on your career, you've released 20 solo albums, which is an incredible feat. And listening back as opposed to looking back to Two of a Kind, your first solo album, Collaboration with Your Mother, um, which is just incredible, I just want to know how do you feel that your voice has developed both um, sort of, I guess, sonically but also how has it developed within your own confidence in yourself and can you hear it when you sing? Um, Yeah, so,
1: well, that Two of a Kind album, that's a great example, that was recorded, that was like a 70-piece symphony orchestra, an eight-piece horn section, a three-piece jazz trio, myself and my mum, the conductor, mixed straight to dat, so stereo, basically, a stereo mix of like 85 people or something, completely live. No chance to just kind of get it wrong because there's 80 people sitting around on the clock, you know. Um, Basically, we made that record how all the classic, jazz records were made by, by heroes like Ella Fitzgerald and Frank Sinatra. So that pressure, I remember that gig, I was like, Whoa, this is very grown up. This is not, you know, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I couldn't stuff it up. I was really freaking out. And for that record, and I listened back and I'm proud of myself that I overcame that fear and I did it. But to me, I sound very, very young and very kind of, um you know yeah well very young but i'm still proud of it like i don't listen back to my stuff much really to be honest but when i do i have a bit more in COVID actually because people have been sending me such lovely messages about particular songs i think people have just had more time to sit around and listen to albums that they like and so i've been getting lots of lovely messages and i'll I'll go oh i might go listen to that you know um and being Pleasantly surprised by what I heard because basically you work so hard on a record and you're mixing it and you're producing it. The last thing I want to do is listen to it. <laughs> I've released it. I'm like, bye. I've just listened to it like a hundred times. I'm not going to listen to it again for a few years, kind of thing. Um, so yeah, uh, but my voice grew a lot through pregnancy it really got a lot richer and creamier and bigger really. I mean, so did my body. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) you know, that I was very grateful for pregnancy, what it did to my voice. It really, it made it just warmer and creamier. And then um, uh, my high notes tend to come fairly easily. So I was always working on trying to push my voice down and and extend my voice down rather than up because the up was fairly buoyant and fairly well not easy but you know it was there naturally so that's the main thing I've worked on trying to make it um stronger and richer and a bit
0: deeper yeah. beautiful creamy deepness I like yeah, it yeah. now I know I mean we've got this live stream going on which by the way there was a mention that you're also going to be um adding some vocal work- workshops into which is just the yeah, extra mile yeah. and a half um but You know, talk me through those. What's on the horizon for you, Katie? So on the last Friday of every month, I'm starting a a
1: 90-minute live stream concert series with a bunch of all of my besties and my mates and lots of people that I love making sounds with. Um, Eight o'clock, last Friday of every month, live from Zach Rainbow Room. So my husband's been madly building this beautiful studio and um, the first one is on the 25th of september and um, is songs that made me which is another one of my records that i made um, so it's all women sharing the songs that made us as as women as artists and that'll be with special guest sahara beck who's fantastic international internationally renowned cellist louise king um, uh, Andrea Kerwin, who's a beautiful Fijian-Australian kind of soul singer-songwriter. Um, Sarah King, who's a beautiful chamber folk artist. And then a lovely young 11-year-old First Nations lady called Layla Barnett, who um, I've been mentoring as part of my Yamundi School of Rock, which is a free rock school I run in my town, or music school. Um, so it'll be six women sharing together the songs we'll be duetting and playing on each other's songs and just it's a real collaborative um process some people would have seen the tour that I did of that and the album I made so um really looking forward to that and then yeah the last Friday of every month and then I looked forward to April next year I've, I've programmed the whole year obviously um the first three or four months are with only Queensland artists because of the border closures but I'm hoping that You know, once that next year, I'll be able to fly in some special guests. So I really want to make something very special, very high end, high quality, multi-camera, good quality, you know, not Zoom, basically, Um, (laughs) because it is a monetized thing. I'm asking people to join my Patreon campaign um and um I think it's 20 bucks I think a month and for that you get the concert and then there's also lots of other things like as you said the vocal workshop and whatever but in April next year I realized that the last Friday is my son's 16th birthday Oh my goodness. so my last gig pre-covid was with my son on drums so um 14th of March I was you know, three dates into a massive tour that got canceled obviously, but he was with me on drums and God, he sounded amazing. So I thought, Oh, well, if it's his birthday, we'll do a gig with Dexter. So
0: That'll that work. is incredible. Yeah. And um, oh my God, this sounds brilliant. You should just call the whole thing not Zoom and people not will Zoom. chip because yeah. we've had enough of not it. <laughs> Katie, thank you so much for being on our show today. It has honestly been an honor and a pleasure having you here. Katie's you. live stream concert series, live from Zach Karen's Rainbow Room, will premiere on September 25th at 8 pm. Now, to find out more and get those tickets, you can go to au. It is going to be, as you just heard, absolutely brilliant. And we will be in the virtual front row singing along in our pajamas. Now, <laughs> before we go, a reminder that the brand new issue of Women in Pop magazine with Mariah Carey on the cover is on sale now, just for a few short weeks more. Inside, we have those interviews with ray Jepson, Freya Writings, Dummy Im, Toky Monster, G Flip, plus loads more. You can buy your copy online now at womeninpop.com forward slash subscribe or find a retailer in EU at womeninpop.com forward slash retailers. Thank you for listening. Everybody, please stay safe, take care of yourself and we'll be back very soon with a new episode. Until then, from myself and Katie, goodbye.